0: Welcome to That's Derm Good. I'm Janelle Ball, and I'm excited to bring you thought provoking conversations about biologics, specialty medications, treatments, and so much more. I'll be chatting with some amazing guests about access, affordability, and advocacy. You're really going to enjoy this show.
1: Hey, Brooke. Thank you so much for having me. I truly appreciate it. Thank
0: you for joining me. Welcome to That's Derm Good. I've got Brooke Hazy, a dermatology RN. I'm so excited to talk to you today. What got you into, number one, to be an RN and also just to get into the dermatology field? What inspired that?
1: I started my career as a CNA. So I then progressed into an LPN and then an RN. So that's kind of what initiated me to become a dermatology RN. My clinicals through my vocational program, which was through my high school, was actually at a dermatology clinic. So I had that background then.
0: That's cool. I haven't heard of that before because usually vocational schools, I mean, I know that they've had nursing programs because I went to a vocational school for cosmetology, but I didn't know that they had them for nursing. So you got to go through a dermatology training, like through an office?
1: I did. So it was a um, shadowing through a, any local clinic that was available and dermatology was one of them. So I actually currently still work for the same company that I did my internship through that high school program. So that was 17 years ago and pretty amazing.
0: Wow. So you've always been in Durham then? I have. That's pretty awesome. Um You're really into skincare. So what kind of inspired that?
1: I do love skin care, but what I'm absolutely passionate about is wound care and being able to educate the patients on the wound care. So we do a lot of different types of surgeries and whether that's excisions or Mohs surgery, being able to explain to the patient how to take care of their wound or why having a pressure dressing is so important. So we have a lot of patients that are elderly and that incorporates them being on a blood thinner. So Those pressure dressings are extremely important to prevent bleeding and reduce having a hematoma and then ending up with an infection. So I loved teaching patients about that and educating them on other things like medications, why Mm -hmm. they're taking the medication, why it's important for them to be cautious on other medications they take with it.
0: I mean, I, I wouldn't think that there was a lot of resources around wound care, right?
1: Right, patient education from the office is extremely vital to their success in having that wound heal. And it's interesting, a lot of patients don't realize that keeping that wound nice and moist in dermatology, we like to use Vaseline or Aquaphor-based products, but they think having a scab is their important way of having that wound to heal. But ultimately, if you keep that wound moist with that ointment, it's going to take a little bit longer to heal, but give that best result cosmetically as well. So that's something to bring to light as well for patients.
0: Yeah, so so you mentioned MOS. Can you kind of explain what exactly MOS is for those that don't really know?
1: Sure. So MOS is a type of procedure that we do with a pathologist that's in the office. So we're very blessed to be able to have that ability. And the ultimate goal is to remove as little good tissue as possible. So mm-hmm. we do a small incision around that skin cancer or the scar that's visible from the previous biopsy site. And we process that tissue while the patient waits in the lab. So that procedure takes a couple hours while the patient's here in the office. For the team to process that tissue, it takes approximately an hour, but then we're able to let that patient know, we have your skin cancer margins clear or we need to take a little bit more. So we keep doing that process until we get clear margins.
0: How long can that take?
1: I have seen patients be there from two to four hours on the very rare occasion longer than that. So it could
0: potentially be a really large wound that they need to be taken care of when they get home.
1: Absolutely. And we have a lot of patients that unfortunately the wound's too large. So we have to do a secondary intent where that patient doesn't have a closure to their skin cancer, Mm -hmm. or they have a really large skin flap. So that's important to make sure that they are doing their proper wound care at home. And that does include educating them and family members as well. Sometimes these patients aren't able to take care of their own wounds.
0: So what does that education look like for you then?
1: We definitely give a handout that's super important for their education. I do believe is having that to be able to reference or give to their caregiver so they Mm -hmm. can reference back and forth. We like to educate on not taking any medications like ibuprofen or drinking alcohol or smoking, which all can delay wound healing. So we do incorporate that into our wound care as well.
0: That's really interesting. I mean, you never really think about having a major surgery like that and what it really entails for you to do at home. You know, you think of, okay, they're going to wrap it up and then go back in for a follow up. And it's not quite (laughs) that simple. You know, when it comes to education, I think that is one of the things that I'm huge on, especially for patients. If they don't have the information, then how are they going to follow up? How are they going to know what questions to ask or, you know, just to be able to have those questions answered, because sometimes you go into the office and you may not know, you may have questions in your mind before you go in and then you get there and you completely forget, which I've done that before. <laughs> and you're leaving the office with more questions than when you got there and nothing's really been answered. So it's important to make sure that patients have as much information as possible. But do you think that there's, there can be an overload of information just like too much information?
1: Absolutely. Patients all the time get nervous about their treatment plans. And I see that most commonly when we prescribe medication. So it's not uncommon for a patient to leave with multiple topical medications and oral medicines after their visit. So I love taking the time to write it down, having the patient reiterate what we spoke to them about. So that way they fully understand how to do their regimen and take care of their wounds as well.
0: So what else do you do in the office aside from wound care?
1: So we do talk about patient education, of course. We're there for injection training. We do a lot of biologic medication. So being able to demonstrate to the patient how to do these injections properly so that way they can do them at home themselves and not have to come into the office. We have a ton of surgical sites. So removing sutures is part of our daily routine as well. And I'm lucky enough to work in a facility that has other specialists, including a radiation therapy department. So we're able to collaborate between different specialists. And I have to work a lot with infectious disease doctors and rheumatologists. So being able to have that collaborative care between the clinical staff, the providers, and the patient is also part of our routine.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about the, the biologics for a second. Cause you know, that's my background <laughs> as a biologic coordinator, you know, so I do a lot of the prior authorizations. I've done some of the injection training and, you know, a lot of companies have, you know, additional injection training support and they have like nurses that will do it virtually or over the phone or how important do you feel it is for patients to have that injection training in the office and making sure that they know what to expect and how to do that self-injection.
1: I do feel like the patient's able to ask more questions when they're physically doing it in the office with you. So I love to bring the patients back in and teach them and show the other staff members the proper way to do these injections as well. But just being in the office, having that experience with them, not only gives them the ability to ask the questions, but it also gives you an opportunity to build that rapport with them. So they are more comfortable with you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's so many biologics out and, you know, the injection experience, they don't really understand, you know, how to do an injection because they've never had to deal with that before. Do you feel like you see a lot more people that are comfortable with that or, with doing it themselves, or do they like to come in the office and just have that done? And do you guys charge for an injection?
1: We do not charge for the injection. It's just a courtesy to help build that trust with the patient and and give them that confidence to be able to move forward with their medicine. But I do have quite a bit of patients who still come in. And mm-hmm. I think it's just knowing that the injection is being delivered properly. They have the support system there if they, if they need to ask questions. Mm-hmm. And having the medication delivered to the office is also something that a lot of our patients are able to do. And we do store that for them in in the office.
0: Yeah. Do you think needle phobia do you see that a lot? Is that a real thing?
1: We do. It is definitely a real thing. And I know I'm a nurse. I understand that, but I still hate going to get an injection. So (laughs) I understand on a patient aspect as well, that it is a real thing and having someone else to be able to deliver that medication for you, it, it takes that fear and anxiety away from those patients.
0: That is so true. It's funny you said that because I talk for other companies, uh, you know, about biologic process and stuff. And one of the things that I've talked about before is the injection experience for patients and how it can be different at home and why it's so important to come in the office and do that injection training and little story (laughs) about me. I get migraines. And I had one of my a neurologists that gave me an injectable and, you know, I'm thinking, oh yeah, this is easy. I do this training with patients and I know how to do the injection and the process. And, you know, I've got this in the bag and I get home and I'm like shaking, I'm like sweating and I'm like, I don't know if I could do this injection on myself. And it's so different when you're at home by yourself. I feel like when you're in the office, you can have this confidence with a nurse or RN and talking about the injection experience. But then when you get home and you're by yourself, you know, my husband wasn't there at the time, so I couldn't make him do it. (laughs) He probably wouldn't have anyways, but you know, it's so different. So having that experience when you're at home and it can be very intimidating and for somebody who is not familiar with that. And, you know, you have to kind of get used to it, because this is not something that you're just gonna do one injection, and you're done. And, you know, so this is something that has to be consistent. And, you know, I don't know if you see any issues with like, misfire or
1: Absolutely. And we have experienced that and had patients experience it at home. And we have to educate them on what to do moving forward from there. So I have multiple family members on biologics for skin conditions, one with psoriasis and one with atopic derm. And they always save their medications for when I'm around. So it alleviates that fear. And the other thing I did want to piggyback on is educating patients on the aseptic technique. And It is alarming to know how many people do not cleanse the skin prior to giving that injection. So that definitely reduces your risk of infection and rotating your sites is also something we like to educate our patients on. And people don't realize that if you continuously give an injection in the same site, that scar tissue is going to build up and the medication is not going to be absorbed the same. So those Mm -hmm. are all the things that I like to deliver whenever we do bring the patients in for trainings.
0: Yeah. What about educating a parent that has to inject their child?
1: That is nerve-wracking. I have one patient that comes to mind. It was severe atopic dermatitis patient, and his parents were very happy to have the medication available to give to him, But they were very concerned about that. Once they were able to see how we did the injections and calming measures, whether it's distractions or music or being able to have the patient involved in the treatment, those things really did help. So, Once the patient's parents were able to see that there was success with this medication, they were much more apt and the patient was more willing to be able to continue with therapy and compliance is something that when we do bring the patients in the office we're able to make sure that they are compliant i am very sad to see when a patient stops a medication because their expectations aren't there in the time frame that they thought they were going to be clear or hey i'm clear i'm going to stop this medicine so i love having that one-on-one and and just re-educating them on the importance of compliance
0: yeah that is so important too you know especially if they're missing a dose that really can have an effect on the efficacy of the medication, right? How do you figure out, you know, what the case is or is it an automatic let's go ahead and switch to a different medication? Is that usually what you see with some of your providers or?
1: I do see that a lot, but I think having that conversation and speaking with them and saying, are you current on your medication are you having trouble giving yourself the injection or, like you said, just determining why the patient isn't clearing or is their expectations too soon? Is, is this not the time frame in which they would be clear? Just finding that out is very helpful. But we do have patients that do want to switch. And I think the reason why they want to switch is for medications that have less injection treatments is our main reason for switching a patient
0: yeah let's take a quick break to hear from prescriber point if you're like me you're tired of browsing for drug resources all over the web with prescriber point i can find prescribing and coverage information prior authorization forms patient assistance programs and more for over thirty-five thousand drugs prescriber point is your free ai powered assistant that makes your life easier and gets your patients on therapy faster get started with a free account or request a demo at prescriberpoint.com slash that's Compliance is huge. And a lot of times I've seen where if a patient's not compliant on a medication or continuing the medication, the insurance may not approve it.
1: I have seen that as well. And that breaks my heart every time I see that. So I, I completely agree.
0: And, you know, it just really goes back to what you said, the patient education and making sure that they're fully aware of, you know, you're starting a biologic, you're starting a specialty medication that you're not going to just stop it. You, you can't just stop. Otherwise you can risk flaring, you know, other comorbidities and insurance, you know, it can be difficult. It's frustrating enough to try to get a prior authorization approved, but then when you're dealing with inconsistencies and the insurance pays attention to when the patient filled last and they look at all of that stuff, I've had that question multiple times from the insurance plans where they're like um, asking, you know, we didn't see that the patient filled this medication, so we can't approve it.
1: <laughs> they will find any reason not to pay for these expensive medicines.
0: hmm It always, it always happens. So, you know, patient education, and it kind of goes along with healthcare advocacy, you know, as a biologic coordinator or as an RN, I feel like we are healthcare advocates. We're advocating for our patients. And how do you feel like you are advocating for patients?
1: The best way I feel like I contribute to advocating for a patient is after the patient's been diagnosed with a skin cancer You know, cancers are one of the most common cancers, but when you are in the room with the patient and the provider says, you have a skin cancer, the only word that patient hears is cancer. So being able to take a step back and when that provider leaves the room, educate them. And I know I say educate a lot, but I truly am passionate about education, but just sharing the details about their skin cancer, and reiterating those treatment options that the patient did explain and go over. So that way the patient is able to make that best educated decision on what they would like to move forward with. And definitely just sharing that education and, and allowing them to make that decision on their own.
0: Right. How would you have the conversation with a patient where maybe they've got their precancerous, their skin, you know, have precancerous cells? Like how would you educate them as far as what they could do preventative wise or just in general?
1: So there are many types of sunscreens out there that do help with reducing sun e- exposure and sun damage. Um, there's one particular sunscreen that we like to use, and it is a sunscreen that actually helps to decrease those precancers as you're applying the sunscreen. It is uh, not a prescription, but it is one that definitely over time will help decrease those pre-cancers. And many patients that have precancers, they know they have the precancers. They can feel them. They're rough. They're scaly. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: having that sunscreen along with that medication that um, is able to treat it while you're wearing the sunscreen is very helpful as well. And blue light is another treatment that we use a lot with our pre-cancer patients. So PDT and explaining to them that if we can decrease these precancers, then you have a lower risk of them turning into a skin cancer. So catching them at this point, whether it's treating them topically or with the, the cryotherapy PDT or the topical medications, you you are reducing your risk of them turning into a skin cancer later.
0: Okay. So how does the blue light work? What is that? You said PDT.
1: Yes so the blue light is a medication it's levulonic acid so mm-hmm. typically you apply that to the patient's face after you prep the patient and after you apply this medication, we call it incubating. So the patient waits a certain amount of time that's prescribed by the provider. And then you put them into a, a U-shaped lamp, which helps to activate that levulonic acid. And it should be about a week that area is red and inflamed. And then the skin typically just heals after that. And those precancers are diminished tremendously. Oh, wow. Is it painful? It's not necessarily a more of a discomfort Mm -hmm. a lot of patients reported as like burning and tingling Uh, we use a lot of technique as far as distraction we use music to help the patients we found that utilizing a fan helps to decrease that
0: with it on when you're sitting under the blue light
1: correct that's correct and We use a technique where you're actually touching the patient's skin with their permission, of course, and that helps to decrease those pathways and help to eliminate that pain in those areas.
0: That's pretty interesting. And so is that something that is covered by insurance or is that out of pocket?
1: We have PDT that is covered through insurance for actinic keratosis or those pre-cancers. When you get into the realm of treatment with acne, which we don't typically perform in our office, but I know it is an option out there, then that would be more of a self-pay where the patient does have to pay out of pocket. Like the biologics, of course, you have to jump through a lot of hoops and sometimes it does require prior authorizations through the insurance, but we've had great success with that.
0: Hmm. So with PDT, that's only one time?
1: Typically, we do one time over a session. So it's one time versus having to apply the medication for a week or two weeks at a time. But you are having to typically do more than one therapy. And it's an ongoing. Unfortunately, the sun damage has been accumulated over time. So what you have treated today in a year you may have more precancers or more skin cancers that come along, but you are definitely helping set the health of your skin forward by doing these treatments. Mm-hmm.
0: So let's talk about the basics of skincare. What would you say basic skincare routine should be? Number one, obviously I'm assuming sunscreen.
1: <laughs> well, I would like to piggyback a little bit on your sunscreen comment because you are a hundred percent right. It is the number one, Thing that I could recommend, and that's a daily sunscreen. And I grew up in the sunny state of Florida. So my sisters and I, we had those blistering sunburns, and mm-hmm. I understand what that can do to your skin, but you can't go backwards on that. But you can always wear that sunscreen to help prevent more damage. So I have one provider that I work with, and he likes to educate his patients. And he read a study in regards to If you wore sunscreen from the time you're able to until the age of 18, and then you never wore sunscreen again, the risk of you developing a skin cancer is tremendously lowered than if you were to not wear sunscreen. So I thought that was pretty interesting.
0: You know, if we are like really out in the sun or maybe at the beach, then put some sunscreen on. But, you know, as kids, just running outside to go ride a bike or playing outside, you know, you don't really think about, oh, let me lather up sunscreen before I go out.
1: I know it's hard to remember. And my family thinks they have a hard time understanding, that I will not walk outside my front door to even check my mail without sunscreen on my face and my chest and my hands. So those are the areas that we tend to always want to protect and your hands, people, people forget about the hands and the chest. So I definitely like to make sure that everyone is aware of that. As far as like a anti aging type regimen, my all time favorite product is a retinoid, which mm-hmm. everyone loves. There's over the counter ones, there's prescription strength. I do always recommend starting off with an over the counter or a low prescription one and building your way up. There's different strengths. So but what they-
0: effect is the retinoid going to do?
1: So what that's going to do is it's going to promote collagen production and help to improve the elastin and reduce the sun damage and side effects of aging. So unfortunately, not a lot of times those retinoids cover by insurance, but luckily with generic medications, we are able to get those medications at a relatively reasonable cost now.
0: Does it cause your skin to kind of be red? Because I feel like I've tried some retinoids before and my face always turns red.
1: Yes. So a small pea-sized amount is all you need for your entire face. And I always like to make sure that the patients are being cautious and not going above that orbital rim. Sometimes near the eye can be irritating, and that's not where the medication is intended to be applied. And a little bit out of the crease of the nose or near the mouth, those can help to reduce patients from getting that irritation or the cracking in the skin. You can always do the topical medications every other night until your skin kind of builds up more of a tolerance and is able to, to take that nightly routine. I have had providers recommend a topical moisturizer that's mixed in as well with those retinoids, but starting off slow and then building your way up is definitely the right way to do those.
0: So then you would say best time to do it would be at night, not during the day?
1: Absolutely. So the sun deactivates that topical retinoid. So if you're applying it in the morning time, you're wasting your time. And we never want a patient to use a medicine and not get the benefit from it. So nighttime use only is definitely recommended. And Of course, going back to using that sunscreen in the morning, so morning sunscreen and then the topical retinoid at night, and those two together will help reduce your risk of having sun damage to the face.
0: So why would you say skin health is so important?
1: Your skin is your body's largest organ, so having a healthy skin is going to help to reduce your risk of developing infections and opening those areas where there's portals for bacteria and fungal infections to get to. So daily moisturizing is extremely important and having your yearly skin exams or your six-month exams. What age should you start having yearly skin exams? So I think that anyone is an ideal candidate for a skin exam, especially if, you know, not necessarily worried too much about skin cancers with um, younger population as far as the infants, but you have other issues as far as eczema, atopic dermatitis. But at any rate, if you have a family history that you can't start too young to have those skin exams.
0: How do you feel like that correlates to your overall health and well-being? I know that you talked about that a lot.
1: Sure. So I have had the opportunity of the providers having the ability of diagnosing a breast cancer by looking at the skin and whether that is a rash on the breast, it sometimes can have like an orange peel texture. Uh, We've, diagnosed skin cancer and had to refer these patients out to specialists, of course, because we don't treat the breast cancer, but an inverted nipple, and the patient thought it was normal to have that. So, you know, these internal malignancies and systemic conditions can exacerbate on the skin. And it just amazes me that it it can happen that way. Patients come in all the time. They're like, I'm so itchy. And come to find out, we send them for blood work or we talk to them a little bit more and get their medical history. They have a a liver condition and your liver, if it's not able to rid those toxins, you can have that severe itch on the skin. So dehydration, you can see that in a patient's skin or Looking at the nails, people don't realize that nails is part of dermatology and you can identify lung disease and autoimmune disease through just looking at the nails and the nail bed.
0: And that would all be part of a skin check.
1: Yes, absolutely. Our providers check from head to toe and they're more specific on areas that you're concerned with. But I encourage every patient, that's part of my routine when I bring that patient back in the room. Are you here today for a skin exam or do you have an area of concern? But I do encourage all of my patients to have skin exams. And a lot of times these melanomas, they're in places, you know, either the sun doesn't shine or on the bottom of the feet we've had Uh, the posterior leg, the back, and those are just areas that you can't typically do a skin exam on yourself. Mm -hmm.
0: So when I think about melanoma, I think about, you know, where skin cancer, you think about it's caused by the sun and that's not necessarily the case.
1: That's not, it can be hereditary. And a lot of individuals who've had melanoma, someone in their immediate family has as well. And we don't treat this, but I have heard of patients having melanoma in the eye. So anytime we have a patient who has a melanoma, we are trying to make sure that they are current with their specialty visits, whether it's a female with her GYN visits, having proper breast exams. They have had melanoma and breast cancers do align in sometimes, And then also those eye exams as well, because you can get melanoma in the eye. So. eye. Unfortunately, it it can be related to sun, but it also can be something that is not related to the sun.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. I never even thought about it that way. When it comes to, you know, the overall health and doing the skin checks, what can we do at home to keep an eye out for any, you know, any changes? Like, what should we be looking for
1: so everyone needs to be aware of the ABCDs of melanoma. And there's definitely the asymmetry. We're looking at the border of lesions, color changes, multiple colors, diameter. If it's larger than a pencil eraser, which everyone knows what a pencil eraser is. So that's something to look into. And then also if it's evolving. So those are the ABCDs of melanoma and um, very important just to make sure that everyone is aware. We do give every patient a brochure that does explain that to them and shares how to do a self-exam at home and, and sharing that with their partner or family member that is able to look at the back, um, Mm -hmm. or areas that they can't see is important as well.
0: Yeah. How can people know when to go see a dermatologist versus seeing their family physician?
1: And I do see that a lot where primary care is trying to eliminate that patient from having to go to a specialist. But as medicine's evolving, we are branching out into specialty visits and roles. So going to the specialist is ideal if you have a rash that's persistent or a lesion that hasn't always been there and is new, or you have a ton of moles. And, you know, you just want someone to take a a baseline, look at them and see if there's anything that you that they think should be biopsied or looked into or watched or monitored. We a lot of times we take pictures and measurements of lesions and moles that we want to keep an eye on. So everybody should have a skin exam at least once a year. That's my recommendation. But if you've had a skin cancer, then definitely more frequently. And if you've had a melanoma, then it's even more frequent, even up to every three months. So, but at least once a year coming in and having that full body skin exam is important. And you can see your, your primary care and your other physicians throughout that time as well. But if something is changing or, or persistent, then coming into the dermatologist much sooner is definitely recommended.
0: Yeah. So I have a sister that had melanoma. Because of that, because I know that I have a family member that has had that, is that more of a reason to?
1: Absolutely. Much more of a reason to. And we always tell our patients as well that if they have had a melanoma, do educate your family. Let them know they are at a higher increased risk of developing a melanoma and getting getting skin checks is our way of being able to catch them early a a melanoma people think of it as always being detrimental but if it's caught early then we're able to do things that don't inquire Mm -hmm. the more invasive and depth of the melanomas that have been there long term
0: yeah do you have anything else to share as far as skin health and ways to take better care of our skin
1: Sure. The basic skin treatment that we like to do starts with your sunscreen, but we always forget about moisturizing. So having a good moisturizer and protecting that barrier is going to reduce a lot of uh, rashes and some other things. Unfortunately, a lot of patients like the smell of laundry detergents and Fragrances, but eliminating those if you are sensitive can help to reduce your risk of having those rashes and breakouts of hives and things like that. So, finding a good moisturizer that you're going to use. We do like cream based products versus lotions. The lotions have a little bit more of an alcohol base and tend to dry you out. But there's many out there that don't have the dyes in the perfumes and Cetaphil, CeraVe, those are all excellent ones. But you do have to be cautious as well. I do believe it is Cetaphil that if you're allergic to peanuts, you should not use Cetaphil. So definitely make sure to check those ingredients before you use an over-the-counter product like that as well.
0: I did not know that. That's really interesting.
1: Unfortunately, a lot of products have gluten in them and uh, gluten intolerance can be affected by them just using medications topically as well. So that is unfortunate check those ingredients and we do a lot of patch testing in our office as well. And there are programs out there that do help. So if you do have those issues or you're very sensitive to different ingredients, say for instance, we use a topical medication called mupiracin, which is an antibacterial ointment and different manufacturers have different products in there. So this will even specify as to, you're sensitive to this allergen, And this brand of ointment is not safe for you to use. And it gives you a list of ones that are safe. So anyone Mm. that's experiencing that, there are options out there. And allergy testing, as far as patch testing, we don't do the injectable allergy testing, but just the patch testing will help to determine why you're getting that irritation.
0: So would it be safe to say that something that doesn't have fragrance would be okay? Or would you still be wary of what's in the product itself?
1: If you are someone who has severe allergies or anaphylaxis to topical or even food allergies, then I would definitely recommend having that patch testing done prior. But on a typical basis, most of us are able to utilize products that are just free of dyes and perfumes and gentle on the skin. So CeraVe and Cetaphil are are definitely ones to look into and utilize on a daily basis.
0: Even now I'm seeing a lot more vegan products as well.
1: Yes, wow. I that is an option also.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate your time, Brooke, and that's a lot of really good information. And you know, again, it really just goes back to education and doing the research and making sure that we have enough information to make an informed decision. And, you know, I really like that you're so passionate about the education side. And, you know, it makes such a difference when patients feel confident and they have all the information that's needed so that they know who to trust. They know that, you know, they can come to you and ask those questions, but I really appreciate your time and hopefully we will talk again soon. Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks for spending a few minutes with me and listening to That's Derm Good. You can expect new episodes of That's Derm Good every other week. The podcast is available on your favorite app, including where you're listening right now. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a new episode. Bye.